The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I'm so glad you've joined today. I have a message that I think is going to be very helpful. It has been to me. I have learned a very difficult and painful lesson time after time until finally I caught on. There's a great difference between desire and obedience. There's a great difference and significant distinction between desire and obedience. I want to take you to a story in the scripture. It's one of my favorite people. The story of Peter. We'll take up the story in the 22nd chapter of the book of Luke. 
Now, this story is found in the Gospels. They each have their story. It was considered a desperate time. Jesus is with his disciples in the garden. And there comes the Jewish leaders and their rabble army with clubs, with swords, and they arrest Jesus. Now, before this happened, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But Peter answered Jesus, saying, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. I want you to note, Peter was literally willing to die with Jesus. He desired to be totally faithful to Jesus. He desired to serve Jesus with all of his heart. Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus said to them, When I send you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. They lack nothing. Jesus has provided everything for them, literally and spiritually. And now he's telling Peter, Satan has asked to have his way with you because there's an opening there, Peter. You're willing to serve me. You're willing to follow me. You're willing to die with me. You're willing to go to the cross with me. The story picks up. Chapter 22, verse 52. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officials of the temple guard, the elders who had come with, with them for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you've come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour, when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they took him into the house of the high priest. And Peter followed at a distance. But when they kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him, and he was seated there in the firelight, and she looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. He had a different twang in his voice. Peter replied, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. You will disown me three times. Was it the desire of Peter to disown Jesus? No, it was not. 
It was Peter's desire to go to the cross if necessary, to die if necessary. It was Peter's desire to be completely loyal to Jesus. It was Peter's desire to be utterly honest and obedient. But he wasn't. Today I need to ask you a question. Is it enough to be willing to follow Jesus? And the answer, of course, is no. It's not enough to be willing to serve Jesus. Because when you're willing to serve Jesus, you've taken only step number one. But there's another step you must take. And that step is called will. And the question is, will you move beyond desire? And will you do what you say? Are you only filled with desire for Jesus? And then when it becomes uncomfortable, then when it becomes inconvenient, then when it becomes embarrassing, do you have the willpower to stand? I saw a quote from Rush Limbaugh this morning. I found it very interesting. He said, I discovered that people were going to hate me because I didn't stand for what they stood for. I stood for something else. And as I stood for that something else, I had to recognize that my success was dependent upon a certain portion of America hating me. This is a lesson we need to learn. We have had friendship evangelism, and we have reaped rotten fruit in America because of friendship evangelism. We have somehow looked upon our responsibility as being a Mr. Rogers responsibility, wearing his sweater and putting on his shoes and being friends with everybody. When you stand with Jesus Christ, you cannot be friends with everybody. When you stand with Jesus Christ, if it is only desire to be loved that is in your heart, when it comes to the hate part, you will cave and you will not obey. Now, I grew up being taught, love everybody and everybody will love you. I learned that was a lie. I learned that on this broadcast because I come and I say things that make some of you very uncomfortable, and you write me nasty emails. When I receive those, I consider my work to be a success. It is a sign that you know that I'm not in accord with the world, the flesh, or the devil. And so I'm coming, and I'm saying something else to you about your eternal destiny. When I take a stand that says you cannot continue to walk in sin and expect to go to heaven, I've had some pastors become very, very angry and upset with me. I understand why. I'm saying something that goes against what they believe. But I want to be considered a success by Jesus Christ, not by the world, 
not by the worldly church. I want, when I meet Jesus, to hear those wonderful words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I cannot be a good and faithful servant of Jesus and operate in what I desire, as good as that might be many times. No, I have to walk in obedience to what Jesus has told me. I have to walk in in what I know to be true from the word. Much of what I hear preached over the airwaves, in church pulpits, on the internet, is simply not the Christian gospel. It's a a Gnostic gospel. It's a pagan gospel. It's a gospel of feel-goodism. It's a gospel of cheap grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called it cheap grace. No backbone in it. No bite. No salt. Good for nothing except to be thrown out. Good for nothing except to be thrown out into the street. Now, Peter, he loves Jesus with all of his heart. He has followed Jesus through many difficult times. He was there when many said, that's a hard saying, who can... Who can accept that? And Jesus says to them, Are you disciples going to leave too? Oh no, you have the words of truth. Peter said, You're the you're the Messiah, the Son of God. But somehow Peter was not able to withstand the pressure on his desire to love Jesus. Instead, he renounced Jesus. He denied him. He said he didn't even know him. Now, verse 62 is very important. And he went outside, that is, Peter went outside and wept bitterly. We come to a place in our walk with Jesus where we simply cannot continue as we are. I believe some of you are there today. I'm there. I cannot continue as I am. There has to be a change. And I'm crying out for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And some of you have been hearing me talk about this for years. But then you finally reach a place where you simply say, Lord, I know it's your will. The scriptures are very plain. Now either please baptize me in the Holy Spirit or take me out. I can't go any further without your Holy Spirit. I need you to either baptize me or take me home. You remember Elijah reached that point with Jesus. After Jezebel threatened him, he ran. He made the long, long journey to the mountain of God. And God asked, what are you doing here? And he answered, I've been faithful. I've done what I was supposed to do. Look, I can't do this anymore. I'm no better than my ancestors. Take me home, Jesus. Take me home, God. The Lord said, okay. But here's a list of things I want you to do before you come home. 
And it took him 20 years to fulfill that list of things that Jesus gave him to do. And then he took him home. But I want you to note, in Elijah's life, the power of the Holy Spirit was poured out as an incredible presence of God in his life. He lost all fear of man. He lost all fear of the Jezebels of the day or the kings of the day. He walked in the power of God. And 20 years later, God sent a heavenly taxi to pick him up and bring him home. I'm saying, Jesus, I either need this baptism or I need you to take me home. Now, we find much more about this differentiation between desire and obedience in Romans, the seventh chapter. Let's just read some of it together. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he's alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies... She is released from the law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. Now, Paul is addressing this issue that the very commandment that was intended to bring life instead for him brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. In order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment, sin might be made utterly sinful. Now, listen carefully. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do is not what I want to do. This I keep on doing. Well, Paul here is not speaking about his current life in Christ. If he were, I would give up the Christian faith. He is instead here speaking about pre-conversion, when as a Jewish man, 
he struggled valiantly to fulfill in every respect the law of God. And in many ways, he was eminently successful. But what I want you to see, Paul is saying, I have the desire to do what is good, but something happens in me, and I don't do it. I do something evil instead. And he's in this passage, he is revealing the grief of his heart over the sin that still lives in him. Now, there are some people who try to pretend that this sin that still loves, lives in him is still there after his conversion. It is not. If you read the context of the seventh chapter, you read the entire chapter carefully, it is abundantly clear that he is speaking in the present tense about a past experience. We do that today as well. It's called in the Greek the analytic present. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, warring against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. So let's be very straight about what Paul is saying here. He's saying the desire is in my heart to serve the living God of heaven. The desire is there in my heart to be righteous before God. But I'm not able to do it. Now, if that's your position today, I want to tell you confidently that the desire you have to do what is right is a gift of God to you. He has given you the desire to do what is right. But there must be more than a desire to do what is right. To enter into salvation, you must be born from above. And when a man is born from above, he is made into a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. I can give you a scripture for that. Keep your finger if you're following me in Romans 7. This is Colossians 1, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. When you come to Jesus Christ, the miraculous work of transformation, of metamorphosis, takes place. It is through death that you enter life. If you have a desire to do what is right, but you still keep going back, you still, you still keep walking in that wickedness, you still are going back to that fornication. You're still going back to those drugs. You're still going back to that lying or cheating or stealing. You're still going back to those old bondages of sin. The work of consecration is not finished in your heart. The work that God has called for in your life has not been completed and you can't enter salvation and be walking in that sin. You simply can't do it. You must give up the old life. Now, Jesus was very clear about this. He said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. There's only one way that Jesus gives for a man to stop sinning. 
and that is to cut it off. To cut it off by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. He said to the disciples as they were in that upper room, as they were in that garden of Gethsemane, he was very clear with them about what was going to happen. He told them that they would all flee, that they would all depart, And he was very clear with them that he was praying that their faith would hold. But I tell you what, when Peter denied Jesus, something happened in his heart. He came to that point where every one of us must come. He came to that point where he said, okay, enough is enough. I'm not going to walk this way anymore. I am finished. I'm going to walk clean in Jesus by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to play with, with sin anymore. Now, what did Jesus give us so that we could gain the victory? First, he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit to seal us for the day of redemption. Secondly, he gave us the tool. He gave us prayer. It is lack of prayer and fasting that causes God's people to falter on the obedience side. As we fast and as we pray, as we deal honestly with our Lord, we gain the victory. The Holy Spirit comes in and takes charge. I want to read for you further. In Romans, the seventh chapter, We know that the law is spiritual, verse 14, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. This is pre-conversion, not post-conversion. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. The the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Verse 21, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in my members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And the ringing answer comes back. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to notice, it says, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is through Jesus that we gain the victory. Now, please, let me be very clear. If you look at your life, have you continued to walk in known sin? And have you excused this? Or do you walk day by day with no condemnation in your heart, no known sin in your life, walking clean before God, rejoicing daily in the faith that you have in Jesus Christ and in his power 
to sustain and hold you. What I find is that many people continue to go back to their sin. And finally they say, look, I can't overcome my sin, so Jesus is just going to have to accept me the way I am now because I can't gain the victory. And if you're saying that, you're in the same place the Apostle Paul was pre-conversion. And you need to be fully converted to Jesus Christ. Now, Peter was in the process of being converted. But believe me, when he went out and wept before God, he made the final decision he would not compromise again, ever. And he never compromised again. He walked clean before God. And finally counted it all joy to be crucified upside down, martyred. He did not give way. Now, First John, and I've been, as I said earlier this week, I've just been living in First John, reading it over and over and over. The second chapter, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. Now, let me try to pull this together. I fear that many of you are still walking in your sin. And you've made many attempts and you've made many excuses. But this is the acid test of whether or not you're a follower of Jesus Christ. The acid test is, will you make the decision where you cut off every worldly connection and tie that holds you and say, I will follow Jesus. I will leave my sin. Now, this is hard for some of you because you have kept your sin. You have coddled it. You have pretended that you could not walk away from it. But if you have been born from above, the sign that a man or woman is born from above is that when the temptation comes, they have the strength in Jesus Christ to walk away from that temptation and not give in to it. So if you're still giving in to your sin, You're saying, I have not been born from above and I am not saved. Or you're saying, I have been born from above. I do have the strength to say no to my sin, but I choose my sin over Jesus. And in that case, John 15, Jesus said, your time of judgment will come. And when that day of judgment comes, the Father will cut you from Jesus and cast you in a pile to dry up and be burned. It's very clear in the scriptures 
that a full victory is granted to the Christian. Let me read a portion of the eighth chapter that will say it more clearly than I can say it. Therefore, what's the therefore in reference to? I am in my mind a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. So have you been transitioned into the kingdom of God? Have you been delivered through Jesus Christ, our Lord? Paul continues, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. All of us were born under the law of sin and death. Jesus came as an atoning sacrifice that we could be totally, utterly, and completely delivered from the law of sin and death. Verse 2, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature. In other words, the law is righteous and holy. We come to the law, and a sinner man is simply condemned by that law. But a righteous man coming to Jesus is set free. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is Hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through the spirit who lives in you. So Paul is very clear. And let me point out what the confusion is. The confusion, very simply, is that the human nature, the sinful nature, will make any excuse necessary to justify itself, to be able to maintain its wickedness and yet claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And because of this wickedness, this so-called friendship evangelism where everything is Mr. Rogers in the church and the pastors are all sweetness and light and never address our sin and never address hell, never address wickedness, always encouraging and loving. What? That's not who Jesus was. 
Jesus comes and addresses specifically the sin of a man or a woman's heart. He said to the woman caught in adultery, does no one condemn you? No. Go now and stop sinning. Same thing Jesus said to the man at the pool of Bethesda. He healed him, and then he said, Now stop sinning, or something worse will happen to you. Stop sinning, or something worse is going to happen to you. That's what he said. That's not Mr. Rogers. I loved Mr. Rogers, by the way. And I'm not speaking in any way against Mr. Rogers. But what I'm saying is when that comes to theology, it's not very good theology. Frankly, it's rotten theology because it will lead you to hell. Now, there's one more passage of Scripture that I want to read for you out of the book of Romans. Verse 12, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation But it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, or Daddy. The spirit testifies himself with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Well, how do we share in his sufferings? By turning away from the world by turning away from the world you see many of you desire to do what is right many of you desire to live clean before God and after you've gone back to that wickedness after you've gone back to the to the adultery, to the fornication, to the alcohol, after you've gone back to the pornography, after you've gone back to the stealing, the cursing, the anger, the bitterness. How do you feel? I know in the past when I've gone back to my sin, I have felt terrible. And I've had to recognize that, in fact, I had the power to say no, but I said yes. And I'm dealing with this subject today because the Holy Spirit keeps moving in my heart and telling me that people listen to the broadcast as they would to pretty music. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to do everything in my power to ensure your salvation through eternity, to live in the joy of the Lord, walking clean before God. That's the cry of my heart, that you be saved. And yet sin rears its ugly head. And you have a desire to do what is right, but you turn and do what is wicked. You've got to come up to higher ground. This is not legalism. This is cutting off the wicked. This is cutting off the sin. This is entering into Jesus Christ by faith in his shed blood. This is making the decision, the same decision that Peter made as he was out there weeping bitterly over his denial of Jesus. And we see by his life that that decision was, I will serve Jesus Christ. 
Is that your decision? Have you made the decision that you will serve Jesus? That you will go all the way with him? Now please understand, God loves you with an everlasting love. He is full of mercy and compassion. He's slow to anger. But he is righteous, and he is just. And he's made it possible for us to enter into a new place. John Wesley called it sanctification, entirely sanctified entirely made holy, so no consciousness in your mind or your heart of any disobedience to Jesus. Walking clean. That's what Jesus wants for you. He wants to give you the strength and the power to not play footsies with the devil. He wants to give you the strength the courage and the power to walk clean before the Almighty God. Jesus will be the one who judges us in that great day. Are you going to say, Jesus, your blood was not effective? It didn't do the job of washing me and cleansing me. I don't think any of us want to say that to Jesus. problem is not on Jesus' side. The problem is on my side, our side, the human side. My brother, my sister, I urge you now to go back and carefully read Romans 6, 7, and 8. And you will quickly look at the context And you'll understand that Paul is speaking about pre-conversion in Romans 7. God bless you, my brother, my sister. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I want to thank those of you who have stepped into the gap. I shared yesterday the great need for finances that we could pay the radio bill for February. Everything that you give will go to help cover that radio bill. You can give by going online to nationalprayerchapel.com and clicking the upper right-hand corner. Or you can write to me. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your questions. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22. One nine five. Now, if you'd like to hear this broadcast again, go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and YouTube will process it, and then this evening it will be posted to YouTube. It'll be posted on our webpage. My brother, my sister, God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.